hey, we're in 1 Thessalonians 5, and we are going to be finishing this book this morning. Uh, we, we've kind of just called this series Walk Worthy. Our, our hope, my hope has been just to finish the year well. Uh, Paul has basically used that phrase a few different times, that they have walked worthy, and he encourages them to keep on walking worthy. And so that's our hope as we kind of wrap up this book. Uh, if you've missed the last couple of weeks, Paul basically brings up the resurrection of Jesus, the return of Jesus, the resurrection of believers, and something called the day of the Lord. Now, we did two different messages on that, and you can go back and listen. And then Paul kind of concludes with this. Hey, Jesus is coming back. He's coming. Uh, believers, one day we'll see him face to face. The day of the Lord is coming. And he ends this section by basically describing these, these habits and holiness, saying, basically, it's like a landmine of verses, and I don't know if you grew up in the church, maybe, if you're like me, you used to sing these verses, and I'm not going to sing them, don't worry, but we used to sing some of these verses, rejoice always, and everything give thanks, pray without ceasing, uh, and there's like a landmine of verses, and basically, saying, hey, in light of Jesus' return, in light of the day of the Lord, let us walk worthy, let us live this way, let us continue in these habits, these lifestyles, these spiritual rhythms, and basically, just kind of saying, hey, walk this way live this way. Jesus is coming. And so uh, we're going to close out just today by talking about habits and holiness. Habits and holiness, that's the title. And, and here's the idea. It's just spiritual disciplines, spiritual rhythms. It's just saying, give yourself over to these things. Make this a part of your lifestyle. Commit yourself to these things. These things do not save you. But as you've been saved, you've been born again, you've been bought by the blood of Jesus. He's saying, you're going to continue in these things. You're going to rejoice always. You're going to give thanks in everything. You're going to pray without, this is what it'll look like. And so he's basically saying, commit yourself to this lifestyle. So we're looking at these certain habits and holiness. Now here's, I'm going to bring this, we're going to read it. But basically he's saying, you do your part and watch what God does. Commit yourself to this, but God also is the one who makes us holy ultimately. God is the one who sanctifies us ultimately. And so there's this responsibility from, from us on our part. And ultimately God, he says, ultimately God will do it. So I, I just want to read, actually, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 12 is where we're at, all the way through the end of the chapter. And can we just do this, just to close out our, our, our series and just, just the scripture reading? Can we actually stand as we read this? Um, so would you stand with me? We're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 12. Paul writes, verse 12, We, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you, and are over you in the Lord, and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Say amen. Verse 19, do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Verse 23, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath 
before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. We're going to pray. That's why we read through this. That's why we read through the books of the Bible. He's like, put you under oath to read this. We just want to give ourselves over to the reading and studying God's word and the application of that. So why don't we just pray and just ask God just to, to be with us and just join us. Let's pray. Father, I just want to thank you. I want to thank you so much just for this time we get. I thank you just, just for your word, God, that we can slow down, study it, read it. Jesus, all these, this list here, we ask that it would not be a list. We ask, God, that you would write this on our heart. God, that we'd be able to commit ourselves to this way of living. That, Jesus, you would bring up these verses in just precious moments. That we'd abstain from every form of evil. That we would rejoice always. That we'd pray without ceasing. That we'd give thanks in all circumstances. That, Jesus, you would write your word on our hearts. Just how can we cleanse our way, God, by taking heed to your word? And so we thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you, God, that you are faithful and you will sanctify us. You will do it. So we just want to praise you now in your precious name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. It really is easy to pick up on bad habits. I think we know this. It's really easy to make bad habits. It doesn't take a lot of effort to make a bad habit. And as we all know, it's really difficult to make good habits. I was talking to my wife about this, like about bad habits and good habits, and I asked for a list of my good habits, and uh, we didn't really have a long list. Um, but I was like, we're just talking about habits. And I was saying, uh, I'm like, hey, so you know, as we talk about habits, here's something that kind of, I feel like comes up a lot of times. Um, I'm kind of notorious, I guess, according to my wife, when I, when I chew gum, I'm a, I'm a gum smacker, all right? I smack my gum. I don't know what it is. I know, I know it's like grosses some of you out. I, I chew gum like it's the 1998 NBA Finals and I'm guarding Jordan. Like, I, I smack my gum. I really take it serious. She's like, why do you do that? I'm like, it tastes better. Just, I can get the full flavor. She's like, that's not true. I'm like, I know. But I'm a gum smacker. That's my, that's, that's a bad habit. I don't want to say my, it's a bad habit. My wife's, I'm not going to do that. Uh, I'm in trouble. Um, okay, one, maybe one. Uh, my, my wife and I play this fun game where she likes to go to every room in the house and turn on the lights, and I just follow her around and turn off the lights. It's a really fun game we play. I love it. I don't know if you guys, I turn into my dad. I don't know what it is. I'm like, turn off the lights! I don't know why. I'm like, why do I care so much? I just care a lot about that now. Um, but as you think about different habits, it's really easy to make bad habits. It's really difficult to produce good habits. And if you think about it, I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes, you know, it just kind of brings up this question, right, when it comes to habits. How do we change or how do we grow? Like, how do we change? How do we grow in life? Maybe if you're like me, you think when it comes to this idea of habits, but you think, I would just want like some big events. I want to go on vacation, travel the world, and come back a changed person. Or like, maybe I'll go and enter into a new relationship and just be a brand new person. Maybe if I just could get that new job, then I'll be changed. Or if I could just find a new church, then I'll be changed. A lot of times, here's what we do. We count on like big things to maybe make us new or to change us or to grow us. But what if it's those daily, minute uh, habits or rhythms we just give ourselves over to? Like, the Bible talks a lot about different practices or disciplines or this a way of living, this way of following Jesus. And really what we'd call today is just talking about different habits in our faith. That this, it's those small little daily decisions we make that add up over time to lead to big change, big growth. But it takes daily disciplines and daily habits. Maybe you've read this or seen this. There's a book that's been going on for a couple of years now called Atomic Habits by James Clear. I listened to the audiobook. Phenomenal. It's a great book. And here's what he said about some habits. Uh, he says this. Imagine you are flying from L.A. to New York. And if a pilot leaving from LAX adjusts the heading just three and a half degrees south, 
you will land in Washington, D.C. instead of New York. Such a small change is barely noticeable at takeoff. The, noise, uh, the nose of the airplane moves just a few feet. But when magnified across the entire United States, you end up hundreds of miles apart. Similarly, a slight change in your daily habits can guide your life to a very different destination. Making a choice that is 1% better or 1% worse seems insignificant in the moment. But over the span of moments that make up a lifetime, these choices determine the difference between you, between who you are, and who you could be. Success is the product of daily habits. Here's the idea. Maybe sometimes in our life, we want there to be a big event or big change to shape us, to grow us, to mold us. But it's probably going to be those 1% decisions, those small choices, those small decisions. And here's what Paul is saying to the Thessalonians. When it comes to change, when it comes to holiness, when it comes being ready for the coming of Jesus, being set apart, he talks about a way of living. Again, whether it's disciplines, habits, rhythms, he talks about a way of living to present yourself for that. So here's what I'll bring up, and here's what scriptures bring up. There is this side when it comes to our sanctification and our growth that we are responsible for, but at the same time, God is doing it within us. You know, there's a verse we know very well. It's Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 and 13. Paul says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it's God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. So I want you to stay with me. There is this work out your own salvation, not work for, right? You don't work for salvation. Work out your own, your own salvation. But why? What am I working out? It's God who works in you. God places these gifts, this, this new character, new nature, his will, his spirit. Work out what he worked in. God worked it in. And he says, now work it out. And there in the scriptures, there is that dichotomy of, I'm going to work out what God has worked in. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. It's God who works in you. If you struggle with this, I love what uh, one author said, D.A. Carson. He says, we have expended, uh, we've expended huge quantities of energy pitting God's sovereignty against human responsibility when the Bible insists that these things belong together. The Bible insists these things belong together. That ultimately God is sovereign, yes, but there's a responsibility God has given us. So here's why I'm bringing this up. Uh, this list sometimes feels like a list. And it can almost become like religious, like I got to pray without ceasing, everything, give thanks. And I don't want to be that. I want, I want you to view this as here's some spiritual disciplines, spiritual rhythms, some spiritual habits that God has given us that, that would help produce within me sanctification, holiness, set me apart. It's what Peter says, be holy as he is holy. God says that over and over, be holy for I am holy. And so here's the idea. Peter or Paul here is saying, here's some habits in holiness. Give yourself over to these things and watch God produce holiness within your life. So again, the topic today is habits and holiness. There's kind of two parts I want to break it into. Here's the first part, habits and holiness, verse 12 through 22. And then part two is God produces holiness. That's what he says in verse 23 and 24. So two parts, habits and holiness. And then ultimately God will set you apart. God will do this. He is faithful. He will surely do it is what Paul says. So two parts. The first part, six points. The last part, one point. So seven points today. You guys ready? Can we do that? I'm not going to show them all to you right now. So let's do this. Um, by the way, as I was reading through this and just praying through this, I want you to notice this. Um, Paul is writing to a church, a group of believers. I, I, how many of you know that when you're doing certain disciplines or habits, it goes so, it's works so much more effectively when you're doing it with others? Like when it comes to habits and routines and disciplines, there's something very effective when you're not alone doing it. And Paul is basically saying in a communal way, do these things. Like give yourself over to these things. I'm speaking to you believers. 
there's something about when a group of people say we all want to embrace the same habits, the same routines, the same rhythms. There's something I think incredibly helpful about that when you realize you're not alone in this process and we are to do these things together. Rather than this individualistic, isolated way that so often we produce our spiritual life with, that so often we try to do it alone, he's basically writing to these believers saying do these things together. Give yourself over to these habits together. So, six points here, then the last point on how God does it. Uh, Here's the first point when it comes to habits and holiness. Ready? Number one is this. Sounds really self-serving. Learn to love and respect the leaders around you. This is a weird one for me to teach on. All right, here we go. Verse 12. (laughs) We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. The first habit, he says, learn to esteem or honor or love or respect just those around you. Let's be honest. We, we live in a very polarized culture, in a very polarized world. I think what we do is either leaders, we idolize them. There's certain leaders we look up to, we idolize them, or we demonize them. A lot of times we go, leaders are the answer to everything or they're the problem with everything. I think we kind of have these two extremes where maybe, again, they, they can do no wrong or all they do is wrong. And the Bible has a different take on that. The Bible is just saying esteem, honor, and love. I do think we have to be honest like with ourselves, with who we are. Like As Americans, like we just live in a consumeristic, glorification kind of culture where it's like, wow, you can throw a football really far, here's $50 million. Like, like, you can sing well, here's $80 million. Like We live in a moment where like people are talented or good at something. We honor, we esteem, not honor, we idolize. We lift them up to this unhealthy area, and then when they fall, we demonize them. The Bible has just a different take of, hey, honor, esteem, in love. There's really a unique take on this. I would say this is probably just, we as Christians need to have a healthy approach when it comes to spiritual leaders in our lives. You know, it's interesting. When we go through these habits and rhythms that Paul is describing here, you're going to notice they kind of fight against our flesh. Like every habit or rhythm fights against something within me. Like pray without, all of these habits he's listing go against kind of how I'm wired, how we're made. And he's saying, so how we're wired and made, we're not really wired or made to honor in a biblical, godly way. We're usually wired to idolize. We're wired to maybe be cynical and demonize. And you say, no, honor, esteem, and love. You know, I was reading, um, there's something called Our Daily Bread. I don't know if you guys remember those old devotionals, like those Our Daily Bread, I don't know. Uh, there's one back in the day where basically a person just, they couldn't stand their pastor. They wrote like an article to the, to like the editor and says, what do you do when you're trying to get rid of your pastor? And Our Daily Bread responded back to me. I thought it was really, really funny and really spot on. This is what they wrote. They said in Our Daily Bread to this person, look your pastor straight in the eye while he is preaching and say, amen, once in a while. He'll preach himself to death. Pat him on the back and tell him his good points. He'll work himself to death. Rededicate your life to Christ and ask your minister for a job to do. He'll die from heart failure. Get the church to pray for him. Soon he'll become so effective that a larger church will take him off your hands. Right? It's like, how do you, this is how you want to get rid of your pat. This is how you do it. It's like, it's uncommon. We're either so seeds and we're gossiping and it's negative or it's idolization, it's unhealthy. He says, hey, just for those who invest in you, those who work among the Lord, honor them in love. Let me just say this. Um, we need godly men and women who want to serve Jesus and his church and the kingdom. We need healthy leaders. We need leaders who want to live well, set a good example, admonish, serve, teach the word, correct, rebuke, exhort. We, we need people who want to dedicate themselves to the work of Jesus. And the work of, we need that, absolutely. It's a beautiful thing when you see that. 
We need healthy leadership. You know, I am very thankful, and I want to stop and pause and just think of all the leaders here who just on a weekly basis do so much. And I want to just even say for our church, because I really do believe they have a bigger picture in mind, like for Jesus. I mean, who get here weekly and set up pipe and drape and do worship rehearsal and take our kids and just set up food in the back, and it's unbelievable. I mean, it's incredibly humbling. I'll say, honor them. Maybe honor the kids' ministry. Write them a note. Say, thank you for loving and serving my kid. Like, how can we honor those who just faithfully serve week after week and pour into our life our small group leaders, the different people just invested in us? I'd say, Paul's just saying, hey, honor them. And develop this rhythm. Why? Because it's really a lost art. There's a lost art when it comes to honoring and esteeming and love. We either have an unhealthy view of leadership where we hold them up to this standard that's not realistic or we, ha- we demonize them and say they're the problem to everything. Paul just says, honor them in love. This is, the res- this is the response. It fights against our nature, maybe of how we're wired. Here's a second, because this was just weird for me. Here's a second spiritual rhythm, and we'll keep moving. Second spiritual habit or rhythm, he says, number two is this. He says, commit to community even when it's difficult. If I had to kind of summarize verse 14 and 15, he's basically saying, commit to community even when it's just a mess. Let's read verse 14. Verse 14, what does he say? He says, and we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak. Be patient with them all. See that no one repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. You know, it's been said church would be easy if it wasn't for people. That's probably really true. Um, Here's what he's saying. Commit yourself to these things amongst maybe people that it's difficult. Admonish the idol help the weak. He's basically saying true community will look like this. It's not, wow, this is getting really sloppy. This is getting heavy. This is difficult. It's funny to me because a lot of times I think we can have these high expectations of church. Sometimes people view church like a dating app. Like, do they have what I want? Mm, they don't have, oh, no, I wanted one that looked like this. Like, sometimes we can look at church a certain way. Like, again, in that consumeristic, what can I get out of this kind of way? When in reality, what you think, like, what makes a strong community a strong community? It's like we're going to endure and fight during those hardships. Like, we're going to be present. We're going to help the weak. We're going to admonish the lazy. We're going to encourage the faint-hearted. Like, we're going to give ourselves over to this. I mean, you think about what makes a strong community a strong community. It's like, we're so committed to Jesus. It's not what can I necessarily get out of this. How can I give? How can I be a part? How can I serve? Again, I think the way church is done today possibly looks different than maybe the way the church looked in the early church. You're just saying, we're going to fight for just health. We're going to be about this. We realize this is truly a hospital for sick people. This is truly a place where we're going to say, you know what? Yes, expect messiness. It's funny because I've talked to different people about small groups at different times. And it's like, you know what? There's just someone in that group that really rubbed me the wrong way. I'm like, yes, that's going to happen. There's going to be several of those people. Maybe you're the person that rubbed someone else the wrong way. You ever thought about that? Like, it's just really funny that there's so much of that that happens at church. It's like, but give yourself over to this. Paul, again, let's just look at this list. He says, basically, he's saying, commit yourself to community, to each other even when it's difficult. Here's what he says. Admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. Even I read that, I'm like, really, all? <laughs> like, yes, be patient with them all. Again, let's, this phrase, admonish the idle. Actually, this kind of goes back to chapter four, I think around verse 12. It seems as if people who were living for Jesus' return began to become lazy. Like, well, Jesus is coming again, or maybe Mrs. is coming. They began to be lazy. Paul says, oh, you need to work, work, work with your hands. Maybe they're coming lazy in their faith. He goes, admonish them. Help the weak. There, it could be the idea of physically weak. James 5 talks about the weak being those who are sick. So maybe it's those who are sick, or it could also just be spiritually weak. Either way, it just applies. He goes, help the weak. Encourage the faint-hearted, those who are exhausted or tired. Is there someone in your life, that, and someone in your small group that's just going through it? 
Can we send them like a love offering? Can we send them like a care package? Can we pray for them? Can we come alongside them? He was encourage the faint-hearted and just be patient with them all. You know, I really am thankful for those who've been patient with me. I really am thankful for those who've seen me at my worst and said, we're going to help you. We're going to be patient with you. You know, it's funny because I've just talked to different like leaders throughout the years. Sometimes you see the person who's like off the deep end and you're like, oh my gosh, they're so difficult to deal with. And most of the time though, it's like, yeah, but watch God use them in the kingdom. Like they're going to be just a mighty force in the kingdom of God. And sometimes you got to realize like, I got to be patient with them. God is doing something. This might be a really difficult person. Maybe if you serve in youth, you go, oh, this, someone, this kid in youth, but that might be the person God is just raising up to like lead the next generation. I'll just say, just be patient. Basically saying, commit yourself to the difficult things when it comes to community. It's really easy, again, for us. Husbands are guilty of this. Just think outside the church, in the church. Things are hard, we leave, we run. This can happen at work. My, jo- my boss, my job is difficult, I, m- I run. I don't like this, I'm out of here. The way of Jesus say, no, press into those things. Admonish the idol. Help the weak. Encourage the faint-hearted. Be patient with them all. He's saying, commit yourself to these things. Verse 15 says, Do, uh, well, he says, see that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to another and to everyone. He goes, repay no one evil for evil and do good to everyone. I think this is one of those verses I've had to like kind of pull up in my heart and mind in different moments of like, God, help me do good to one another and to everyone, even the person that rubs me the wrong way. The person that's trying to hurt me or cut me, the person that, like, you know, the Bible says, bless those who curse you, pray for those who use you. Sometimes you have to go, God, just help me in this moment. The idea is like, be, be that change you want to be and be that person you, you need to be in that moment. He's saying, commit yourselves over to these things. Again, when it comes to the way of Jesus, it's so different than the rest of the world. It's saying when hardship comes, we don't run. We actually press in. We actually give ourselves over to. Give yourself over to this habit. Watch what God does. So first thing is learn to, to love and esteem the spiritual leaders around you. Number two is uh, commit yourself even when it's difficult. Here's number three. Embrace, he says in verse 16, embrace the practice of rejoicing. Verse 16, what does he say? Rejoice always. All right, you guys are gonna remember and memorize some, uh, some scripture today. All right, listen to these two words. This is a whole verse. Can you believe that? You know a verse of the Bible. Rejoice always. Rejoice always. Now, if you're like me and you read that cynically, sometimes you're like, you can read that and we go, easier said than done. I can read those two words, rejoice always, and go, that's way easier said than done. You know, I think there's times we, we can read a verse like this, and sometimes we, we, we make it something it's not. We might read this verse, and you write, what you might read is just be happy at all times. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying be happy at all times, force it, fake it, but give yourself over to the practice of rejoicing. Here's what I want to say. Um, when things don't go well, we're really good, and I'm really good about letting people know. Like, when things are hard, I'm like, oh my gosh, you got to hear about this. Like, when things are not going well, I don't usually keep that to myself, right? Like, usually, like, we're really good at complaining. We're really good at venting. Instead of complaining, we call it venting. But we're really good at those things. We're like, okay, this is hard. I want everyone to know how hard this is in my life. And I'll say this. Embrace the practice of, of learning how to rejoice always. You know, this idea of rejoice always, different authors have put it, it just means to treasure something greatly. And it's saying, what are you treasuring? Like, what is that thing that gives you joy? It's joy expressed. What is that deeply rooted joy that it just gives, that this comes out naturally? Rejoice always. It's funny, my son this morning, as I was getting ready, it's so funny, he had like this moment, he's like, Dad, this Christmas is not about lights and about presents, and I'm like, oh, and he goes, and about joy, I'm like, huh? He's like, it's about Jesus, and I'm like, yes, absolutely, and I'm like, I love how he said this Christmas, like the other ones were, 
but this one's different. <laughs> you know, he's six. But then in my mind, I'm like, but I'm like, no, but I'm like, yes, you're right. That's so good, buddy. But I'm like, no, but when you say it's about Jesus, joy is a big part of that. It's a big part of that. I love that you, like, you know, this is a time to be gloomy and sad. I'm like, no. Um, Spurgeon says this. He says, I have known many deeply spiritual Christian people who've been afraid to rejoice. Some take such a view of religion that it is to them a sacred duty to be gloomy. <laughs> There's something about maybe certain, like, people, generations ago, it's like, oh, like, you really want to be holy? You're gloomy. You're very serious and you're sad. No, Paul's like, rejoice always. Again, I get it, because it's moments like this or seasons like this, Christmas sometimes reminds you of the most painful things. It's during Christmas you miss loved ones who've passed. It's during Christmas it just seems like you're flooded with just different memories and thoughts that can almost haunt you. And, and I want to say, I, I get that, and I don't think the Bible is saying put on a happy, fake smile, but it's saying don't forget what you and I have in the gospel of Jesus. Don't forget what you and I have, that joy has come, that joy is here that we have the greatest gift ever, truly ever given. I think about what Jesus said to the disciples in Luke 10. They came back from some, a powerful time of ministry. Like they're casting out demons, healing sick people. They're celebrating, they're rejoicing. Maybe you know this. It's in Luke 10, verse 20, where Jesus says, well, do not rejoice in this. Don't rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Rejoice always. Why? Don't rejoice that... You got to participate even in kingdom things, which is beautiful. Don't rejoice that spirits are subject to you. Rejoice that your name is in heaven. I love how Jesus kind of brings it back to the most important thing. You're rejoicing in something good, but not the best thing. The best thing is that your name is written in heaven. Your best thing is because of Jesus and what he's done for you, your name is in heaven now. Because rejoice in this. Rejoice always. What do I have to rejoice in? In the finished work of Jesus the most important thing in life that's been done for us. And here's what he's saying. Make this a practice. Make this a habit. Like, give yourself over to this. I get that this is hard, but rejoice always. Okay, I'm going to share a story. I'm sorry, babe, if I embarrass you. Uh, last night, I was studying for this. Um, as I was studying and writing things down, I put my headphones in, and it can be really obnoxious. I'll put my headphones in, and I'll just, like, sing whenever I'm listening. Like, I'm listening, like, whatever, worship music. And I'm just going at it. It's, like, maybe 1130. It's a little bit late. And I'm, like, singing. I take my headphones off. She's like, you were so loud. I'm like, was I? I didn't realize. She's like, okay. And this is with all love. She's like, you know, she's like, yes, your singing is beautiful to God, but to no one else. And I'm like, oh. listen, I'm not here throwing this. She's not wrong. Like, she's not wrong. I was like, it's true. When I think about, like, my voice, my singing, it is truly make a joyful noise. Like, it's a noise. That's just, it's obnoxious. But I think about this, like, but babe, rejoice always, right? She's like, mm, in your head. I'm like, okay. No. I just think there's something sweet about this, going, hey, uh, in those moments, you really feel like, God, I, uh, what, what, like, what's going to, how can I rejoice? Just make the practice of rejoicing. It, it, it's one of those things where I'm not saying fake it till you make it. It's just saying practice it till you become it. It's not, it's just like practice it. Let it be a part of your life. Let me just be who you are. So it goes, rejoice always. Number four is this. This is the fourth practice or discipline. It's pretty simple. My fourth point is the verse. Number four, pray without ceasing. Make this a spiritual habit. Pray without ceasing. Verse 17, read it with me. Pray without ceasing. Here's the verse. Pray without ceasing. Again, we hear this and go, so Josiah, like, should I be praying like right now? Like about about right now. Um, Here's what this, I love how Warren Rearsby says this. Pray without ceasing means constantly reoccurring, not continuously occurring. Constantly reoccurring. Pray without ceasing. Have this open dialogue with God. 
Here's what I love about prayer. The Bible talks about prayer in a lot of different forms and in fashion. Sometimes there's corporate prayer that is so beautiful that we need. Sometimes, like, Jesus talks about that prayer in your closet. Sometimes when you read the book of Nehemiah, it's like these, these really quick prayers, like, Lord, give me strength. It's just this ongoing dialogue with God. Here's the beautiful thing. You did not start the conversation with God. God started the conversation with you. You know what pray without ceasing means? It literally means God is listening without ceasing. Isn't that an unbelievable thought? Pray without ceasing. Why? God is listening without ceasing. God's listening. You think about this, you have the ear of God. Prayer is one of those things that I, I still fully don't get. As I'm doing it sometimes, I'm like, wow, God, like, what is happening right now? It's unbelievable to think that God says, come boldly to my throne room of grace that you may obtain mercy and grace to help in a time of need. It's crazy to think God's like, come to me. Jesus has come to me, all those who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. It's, this is this unbelievable invitation just to come into the presence of God and speak with him. God's like, you have my ear. I don't know if there's ever been someone you want to meet or talk to. You're like, oh my gosh, if I could just get five minutes with them. Just five minutes, right? Like, it would change my life forever. And like, probably wouldn't, but like, if I could just get five minutes, I could, I could just have their ear, have their full attention. That's like what it means, like have their ear. I just, if I could just have their full attention, that'd be unbelievable. It's like, you have that with the God of the universe. It's mind-blowing to think. He goes, pray without ceasing. Like, keep it in this ongoing way. Here's the thing. I think sometimes the best prayers, sometimes for me, it can be just when I'm simply driving. It can be just like, God, I know that you're here, and I know that you're with me, and I just want to talk to you. Like, this has been a long day. I'm at my lunch or whatever. Like, you're just kind of talking out loud to God. I'd say, have it just be in this ongoing way. Like, God wants to meet with us. God wants to speak with us. Prayer is one of those anomalies to me where, like, I don't get it. God is truly, I believe, when you read the scriptures, there's almost this idea that God is, like, waiting for you to ask. He's, like, waiting for you to dialogue. There's this book on prayer by Mark Batterson called Circle Maker. It's just helpful, and here's what he said I thought was really profound. He says, listen, God has determined that certain expressions of his power will only be exercised in response to prayer. Hear that? Simply put, God won't do it unless you pray for it. We have not because we ask not. The greatest tragedy in life is the prayers that go unanswered because they go unasked. I think God's just saying, talk to me. Like, I'm, I'm listening. Pray without ceasing because I'm, I'm listening without ceasing. It's unbelievable to think that we have a God who actually cares for our cares. There's a God who's like, talk to me. I care about it. I, I, it's funny, like, even when I talk to my son or maybe even someone who's younger in the faith, and it's almost like, God doesn't care about this. It's like, God wouldn't care. It's like, no, he absolutely does. Like, bring it to him. Cast all of your cares upon him because he cares for you. Why do we pray without ceasing? Because we have a God who's listening without ceasing. Amen? Here's the, the fifth uh, practice or habit he says give yourself over to. And it's this idea, I put it this way, cultivate gratitude in every circumstance. He says it in verse 18 this way, give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So cultivate gratitude in every circumstance. Let me kind of connect these verses really quick. So I don't want to like, keep moving on. I love what Spurgeon said about this. He says, when joy, so rejoicing, right? When joy and prayer are married, their firstborn child is gratitude. Is that great? When joy, when rejoicing and prayer is married, what they give birth to is just gratitude. In everything give thanks. In all circumstances give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Now, again, it doesn't say for everything give thanks. For everything that ever happens, you give thanks. There are some things in your life like, I can't give thanks for that. That's not what he's saying, but give thanks in that. Give thanks in that. 
And that, again, it was one of those things you read, and again, you go, man, that's so much easier said than done. He's not saying give thanks for those things that you walk through for those difficult moments, but give thanks in those moments. Give thanks in those moments. Um, I was reading a commentary this week by Mark Howell. He, he's talking about this idea, and he says, uh, providence, so God's just providence, affirms that no detail in our lives is irrelevant or insignificant. God is using everything for our ultimate good and his everlasting glory. Hence, to give thanks in everything is to affirm our resolute belief that God is overseeing every detail in our lives. There's a side of this where you just kind of go, in everything, give thanks. I just almost have to step back and say, okay, God, I don't understand. I don't see it from my perspective. I don't get it from my vantage point. But I'm going to step back and understand that you are sovereign. You are, you're provident in this. And I'm going to step back and trust you in this moment as difficult as it is. In everything, give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Again, Paul used this phrase earlier. He says, this is the will of God, First Thessalonians 4. This is the will of God, your holiness. Remember, this is the will of God, your holiness, your sanctification. Now he says, uh, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in every circumstance give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. Uh, again, whenever I talk to people like, what's God's will? I really say, hey, when you ask that question, I know you probably mean like what college I should go to or who I should marry. But like, I really think like when you're like, what's God's will? I'd say, your holiness, in everything give thanks, pray without ceasing, rejoice always. Yeah, 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 but, but what's his will for me? It's like, hold on, but do these things first. Because most likely, I don't know if we're doing those things. Like, we want to know God's will in this, like, give me this nuanced way of, like, seeing God's will. Should I buy this house or that house? Should I go here and here? It's like, okay, I get that. Like, yes, we trust the Lord's leading on that. But in that process, are you giving thanks? Are you praying without ceasing? Are you delighting yourself in the Lord? Are, are, you, are you practicing and giving yourself over to holiness? This is God's will, your holiness. Paul is just saying here, listen, this is the will of God for you. Give yourself over to these things. In everything, give thanks for this is the will of God. Number six is this. We're going to look at a few verses. Here's number six, this discipline or habit. Hold fast to God's voice. Just hold fast to God's voice. He says in verse 19 this way, verse 19, do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything, hold fast what is good, abstain from every form of evil. Again, hold fast to God's voice. Really what I think Paul here, like look at these verses, we'll keep them up. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. He's basically saying have a sensitive ear to just the voice of God, how, how God moves and speaks. Do not quench the spirit. You know, it's interesting. You think about this, the spirit, his work, who he is, what he's done. The spirit is not a force. He's a person to know and have intimacy and have a relationship with. But you think about the spirit of God in our lives. And if you sense the spirit of God, here's what I've had people ask, like, how do I know this is the spirit of God and not my flesh? Usually the spirit of God is, or usually my flesh is not asking me to do the hard, sacrificial, Christ-like thing. Usually that's my, my flesh is not saying, hey, go buy that person lunch or go buy them coffee, go talk to them about Jesus. Usually my flesh does not do that. That's not my flesh, right? When you're sitting there and you're like, I don't, is this, is this God or my flesh? Uh, if it's going to probably gratify the the desires of your flesh is probably your flesh. If it's going to gratify the desires of God and the things of God, the kingdom of God is probably the spirit. But I'd say when it says do not quench the spirit, I'd say there's those moments in your life where you do sense the Lord like, going, hey, I want you to go talk to that person or I want you to go pray for them and say, hey, can I pray for you? I don't know if you've ever had those moments. I've had a few of those moments where like, I'm about to do something really weird here and I'm like, hey, can I ask you a question? And if you've ever had those moments where like you need to do that or like, hey, can I buy you lunch or hey, can I? And you just feel like, God, I, I have to do this. I've had those times where I've ignored that voice. I've had those times where I've quenched the spirit, where God's like, go do this, go pray for this, go, and you're like, mm, no, that's weird. And here's the thing, that disobedience, that's sin. And God's just saying, don't quench the spirit. When the spirit of God is moving or speaking, he's just saying, have a sensitive ear to God's voice. Don't despise prophecy. Let's move on to that. Don't despise prophecy. You know, there, there, there's an idea in scripture, and we're not going to be able to get into it as, as much as I like, but 
according to 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, there is the gift of prophecy. Uh, a lot of different people kind of put prophecy as either foretelling or forthtelling, meaning this. There might be a prophetic word that God just places in your heart for someone, and it's more about their moment and their circumstances. There might be, so two-thirds of the Bible is usually prophecy in regards to, like, the, the kingdom or a person's life in that moment. Uh, One-third of it might be prophetic, like, in the future, like, down the road. Now, here's the idea. When it comes to prophecy, I do believe that the gift of prophecy does exist. Absolutely. I believe according to 1 Corinthians 14, Paul's like, I wish that all could prophesy. And I'd say this, this is something we should desire and seek after. And when the Bible says do not despise prophecies, maybe you've been a part of a moment where someone's given you prophetic word. And I, I've had a few of those moments where you almost despise it. You almost like, I don't, want the, I don't want to hear that. I've had that at a young age where people have spoken things over me. And I'm like, I don't want to do that for the Lord, though. I've had the things where they've maybe called me out, and you're like, but is that the Lord? It's funny. I've had moments where you just, you're like, I know that was God. I know that was God, but I just didn't want to hear that at that moment. And there's a verse, again, this verse here is just saying, don't despise prophecies. I've also had people give me a prophetic word where I feel like that was from their flesh, but I've had to consider this verse and go, okay, Lord, someone just kind of said this over me. I don't agree with what they said or how they said it, but you know what? I'm going to hold fast. I'm going to test it. I'm not going to despise it, but I'm going to test it. And I'd say Paul's basically just saying, cultivate a heart where you want to listen to God's voice. Here's the thing. If you've ever had someone say, hey, I, I see Jesus' hand in your life and he's doing this in you, you could be like, who are you? You don't know me. I'd say, don't despise it. Maybe you say, God, is this you? God, are you speaking? God, I want to hold this to you. God, maybe this is you in this moment. Someone prayed this over me. Someone said this over me. I just want to hold it to your word. I'm going to hold all things, test all things. This is what he's saying. He says, hold all things, test all things. In this last phrase, abstain from every form of evil. Abstain from every form of evil. These are some passages where I just pray that God would write it more in our heart than we memorize it even. That in those moments of kind of like on the fence about a decision you make, like, can I do this? Should I do this? And just God saying, hey, abstain from every form of evil. God saying, be sensitive to my voice. Be sensitive to my leading. Here's what I encourage you. In the, this passage, there's a lot of different imperatives and commands given. There's more than the six I bolted down to. But I'd say in this verse 19 to 22, Paul's basically saying, you be sensitive to the voice of God, my leading, my spirit. Don't quench my spirit. Don't despise prophetic words from me. Be very open and sensitive to what God is speaking and moving. Because here's the idea. Even at church on Sundays, sometimes even when I'm preaching or teaching, you go, okay, that's good or that's cool, but that's obviously for someone else. And maybe the Lord's like, no, this is for you. I'm speaking to you. I love you. I want you. I want you to surrender this area of your life, not them. I'm not talking to someone else here. And maybe there's even moments like this where you're like despising the voice of God or the word of God, or the prophetic word of God. And you're like, this is obviously not for me because that person's way more sinful. No, and maybe God's like, no, but I'm talking to you right now. And I say, don't, don't despise that. Don't quench that. Abstain from every form of evil. Here's what Paul is saying. Hey, he's like, commit yourself, give yourself to this way of living. We want to talk about being ready for the day of the Lord, being ready for the return of Jesus, the resurrection of believers. He's saying, Instill within your heart and lifestyle these habits. Commit yourself over to these things. And again, it's so much more than these six. I just try to kind of compound them a little bit. But give yourself over to this. I'm going to rejoice always. Pray without ceasing to everything. Give thanks. Not quench the spirit. Like give yourself over to this way of living. Paul is saying these habits will produce holiness. So that's verse 12 through 22. So let's put this part up. Part one, habits and holiness. Here's part two. It's God produces holiness. Paul kind of ends and summarizes this, this list of how to live, these habits of how to live. And he goes, but you know what? Ultimately, God does this. Ultimately, watch how God produces this within you. Verse 23, he says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. I am so thankful for this. 
God is faithful, God will do it. Isn't that an unbelievable promise? This is one of those things maybe you struggle with when you hear that. God will do it. God is faithful. Paul says in 2 Timothy 2.13, God is faithful even when you're faithless. He cannot deny himself. Just that that's who he is. He's faithful. He will surely do it. The Bible, again, speaks of this idea of work out your own salvation with fear and trembling for it's God who works in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. There's just this, this idea of like, I got to do this. I'm joining God in this work, but God is doing it. God placed it within me. He's doing it, but I participate with him in this. It's Philippians 1, 6, that uh, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ, right? He who started this good work in you, he's going to be faithful. He's going to complete it. He's going to complete it. He will complete it. Not me. It's Paul to the Galatians, that which began the spirit, don't try to make perfect in the flesh. Sometimes we can try to take these disciplines on in the flesh, and I'd say, how does this happen? Like, how does this come? Like, aren't I supposed to do these things, though, Josiah? What do you mean don't do it in the flesh? There's this idea in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. I don't want to get too lost here, but just stay with me. It's as we behold Jesus face to face, as we look at Jesus, as we abide with Jesus, as we enjoy Jesus, as we worship or pray without ceasing or understand his word or give ourselves over to the voice of God, as we do that, watch God produce holiness in us. Am I doing it? No. <laughs> but watch as you abide and you look at Jesus. It's like, well, are you doing it? Yeah. Are you doing it? No. It's a hard to answer. It's like, who does it? I'm like, I don't know. Yeah, both. There's just this idea of like, you do it, but God's doing it. You're working out what God has worked in. Just abide in Jesus. But even that, as you do that, watch how God produces this life within you. Uh, I love what Adrian Rogers said about this. He says, um, behind every command of God is the omnipotent power of God to carry out that command. So here's the idea. Pray without ceasing. Rejoice always. And everything give thanks. You're like, ah, that's a lot of commands. <laughs> Don't quench the spirit. Uh, stop it. Like, there's, so, there's a huge list here. And here's what he says. He goes, behind every command of God is the omnipotent power of God to carry out the command. If he calls you to do it, he'll give you the power to do it. And this is what you just see in scriptures. He goes, may our God sanctify you completely and you be blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus, your, your soul, your body, your spirit. And he who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. There's such a beautiful side of like, you work, but you rest. We, we, we work out of this rest. Uh, one author, Andrew Murray, is a famous old school preacher theologian, kind of like an, I don't know, ninja in the faith. He says, uh, the idea that many Christians have of grace is this. Listen, this is the idea of grace. That their conversion and pardon are God's work, but now in gratitude to God, it is their work to live as Christians and follow Jesus. No, he says, just as it was Jesus who drew you when he said, come, so does Jesus who keeps you when he says, abide. The past grace to come and the future grace abide, to abide are alike from him and him alone. Just it began in the spirit and it continues in the spirit. I want to say this, give yourself over to these disciplines from a place that comes with intimacy from Jesus. As you just wake up in the morning and say, Jesus, good morning. Speak to me. I want to be still. I want to quiet my heart. I want to see your face. As you're maybe in the middle of your work day and you're going, God, I can meet you right now as I'm working, driving, sitting. I can pray without ceasing that, God, your ears open to me. God, in this moment of bad news, I'm not going to give thanks for that, but in everything I'm going to give thanks. I'm going to teach my heart when it wants to complain, when it wants to whine, when it wants to just be bitter about everything. I'm going to show my heart how to praise you and rejoice in you and rest in you. I'm going to fight against these natural urges that I have. Like the spirit and the flesh are just constantly at war with each other. And my flesh will want to do these. It wants to do the exact opposite. It wants to be idle. It wants to be faint hearted. It wants to not give thanks. It wants to not pray. But I'm going to feed my spirit, Lord, in these moments. I'm going to seek you in these moments. And this is what he's basically saying. And watch how God will do it. 
This is such a beautiful promise. One more time, this verse, he says, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's so much debate around this. Uh, the idea of spirit, body, soul, are we as man a trichotomy or dichotomy? You know, in some ways, I don't care. I just love that the whole being God wants to present blameless at his coming. You know that your body matters to God? Your body matters to God. What you do with your body matters. How you live your life matters. Your soul the Bible talks about how in Hebrews 4, 12, the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two edged sword. It just pierces between the soul and the spirit. And, and sometimes the Bible might say, maybe there's like a, sometimes theologians might say there's like a similarity between the soul and, soul and spirit. Or it's different. You know, to be honest, I really don't know on that debate. I just go, I, I love that God's word is so specific. It can divide, it can get to, it can speak into those emotional, selfish, soulish kind of level things or those spiritual depth level things. I just love that Paul's like, God wants to present all of you, just your whole being blameless at his coming. God is faithful. He will do it. God cares about how we, how we think, what we live for, how we spend our money, how we raise our kids, like all of that matters to God. And he goes, give yourself over to these things. Just present blameless at his coming. They might set you apart. Church, here's the thing. Here's why we were going through this book. It's been a kind of crazy year and a half. And it's been those, one of those weird year and a half where I'm like, God, I'm tired. I'm tired. I feel like the enemy is constantly trying to get my conversation and thinking on side things. Like, what do you think about this political thing? What do you think about this? And I'm like, you know, I'm just tired. I just want to give myself over again to the way of Jesus because constantly I'm being drawn away from that. And you know what? I just need to give myself to the will of God. God's will is that I would pray without ceasing, rejoice evermore. Like, I want to give myself to these things because I'm kind of exhausted by the, being sidetracked. I want to walk worthy. Here's why, how we're finishing up this, this series. Let's, let's walk worthy. Let's, let's join Jesus in this mission and work. Let's say, Jesus, I want to I give myself to these things. So here's the idea. In 2022, we all make New Year's resolutions. I would say get rid of the idea of New Year's resolutions and give yourself over to habits or lifestyles or disciplines or rhythms, spiritual rhythms, spiritual disciplines. Less of, you know, I want to lose 15 pounds by this day and more of I want to, you know, live healthy physically, spiritually, and I'm committing myself to this and commit yourself more to a way of living. And this is what the, the scriptures offer us. They say, come on to this. Like, embrace this, this new habit, this new lifestyle, this new way of doing life, and this is what we want to do. Here's the thing. Paul begins this book with grace, and he ends with grace, and this is how I want to end. May the grace of Jesus be with you. This is by the grace of God, and will only happen by the grace of God. Listen, I love how he says the grace of Jesus, not the grace of Paul, not my grace. Sometimes I want grace, mother. Like, would they be gracious? I want grace, but can I tell you, like, I need the grace of Jesus. And he says, may the grace of Jesus be with you. You have the grace of Jesus. Can we just end this time by celebrating, thanking, praising him? In this third Sunday of Advent, it's hope, peace, love, joy. This is the Sunday where you say of love, where you celebrate and say love has come. And we just want to celebrate this. So can we just end our time by rejoicing always, by praying without ceasing and everything give thanks. I just want to give you guys some time and space and say, maybe the person next to you, whatever's going on, just step aside and say, Lord, speak to me. I'm listening. I don't want to quench your spirit. I want to actually give ourselves a few minutes just to try to give ourselves over to these habits and disciplines. Can we do that? Yes? Why don't you bow your head with me really quick? We're going to pray in just a second. But before we pray, just I want to ask you just to close your eyes. Talk to the Lord. And just say, Jesus, speak to me. I'm listening. Maybe just quiet for a moment. Right now, you just can give thanks. What can you rejoice in? Your salvation. I just want to give you some time to put this to practice.